I heard this often uh, as a young kid. Uh, it was just simple yet very clear phrase. You're grounded this weekend. Any surprises? That's right. My father would look at me. He'd see how I was acting. And he would make a simple declaration about what would happen at the end of the week. And he would simply say, you're grounded for the weekend. And of course, me being the righteous young kid that I was, and also vocal, assuming the best in myself, would look at him and say, I don't get it. What did I do? I didn't do anything. I didn't say anything. I didn't do anything. And my father would me often, and for whatever reason, I just remember this often <laughs> being told to me. He would say, it's not what you said, Mike, that got you into trouble. It was how you said it. It was that moment that I realized that the issue was not necessarily what I was doing or what I was saying, but the issue that my father had was the way I approached it, my attitude, my heart, the process, the, w the way I was approaching my mother or him in a conversation. So last week, we're in the Ten Commandments here in Exodus. Last week, we looked at the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Kind of the what, if you will. And today we turn our attention to something that is also significant. Not just who or what we worship, but equally important, how we worship. It doesn't just matter who we worship, and it does. I'm not trying to minimize that at all. But it matters just as much to the who we worship, how we worship Him. How we worship, who we worship, matters. And so today, the Lord is going to speak very clearly and very directly to us. In many ways, I think that this particular uh, passage, these few verses, are, are a direct hit. My son Silas is playing Battleship these days, and it's all about... You, hit me, direct hit, bullseye. I think to some degree, in a very spiritual way, this is a direct hit to our heart, to the center of who we are and our deepest struggle. The, the issue that we really face every single day and the thing that is stripping us of peace, the thing that is truly at the center of why our relationships are falling apart at the seams. To why we really don't experience infinite joy and satisfaction in this life. This is the bullseye. This is the direct hit. Not just who we worship, yes, but also how we worship the one that we worship. I'm going to read not all 17 verses, but I am going to read the first six verses of chapter 20 with you. So Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, 
please follow along. The words should be posted on the screen and also be helpful for you to just dig into your scriptures as you have them. This is God's word from Exodus 21 through 6. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is God's word. And all God's people said, Amen. The Lord's expectation on how we are to worship Him as His people is crystal clear. There is absolutely, positively, no room for idolatry in our worship of the one true God. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. There is no room for gray. People were making fun of this building as 50 shades of gray when we were moving into it. And I think there's some truth to that. We like gray today. Not just the color, it colors in, right? But we like gray in terms of life. We like the ambiguity, it gives us freedom. It confuses everything. We like gray. But here there's no room for gray. It is very simple. The Lord's expectation on His people that are redeemed out of Egypt, is that they not engage in idolatrous worship. End of story. So we want to know, what is idolatry? Well, the basic definition is it's to worship an idol or a, a representation, a physical object, a representation of the God that they worship. But if you really want to look at the definition of, of what God is getting at with this idolatry, let's just look at the phrases. Look at what it says. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Look at that language. You're crafting something. You're making something. You're carving something physical for 
yourself. You're, you're making an image. You're imaging your God. You're trying to represent physically something that you can see and in your senses interact with that is a representation of that which you find value, worth, and deity. You see, it's also uh, making uh, something that uh, is in heaven or earth or even under the earth. It's taking the creation and all, as Romans 1 talks about, elevating it to being worshipped uh, above the creator. So it's imaging, putting into likeness the God that we worship in physical form. And then worshiping it as if it were that God. God is looking at his people and saying, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. There's language that, again, is representative of worship. This is a worship issue. We're not to worship a, a God of our own making after our own likeness. Where have you seen or heard language like this before, right? To, to be made in an image or after the likeness of something. Where have we heard that language before? Did I hear someone mumble Genesis? Yes. Right? That, that God is the one who makes man, women, in His Image after his what? Likeness. He is the creator. He is the one that is reserved the right to image himself. We as the creature do not have that right. We do not worship him by making a God for ourselves that we would serve and bow down to in our own image. I think many of us struggle with that. We want to worship a God of our own making, right? After our own likeness that really exists to serve us. But that's backwards, given the way we see God made. We've been made for Himself after His image, after His likeness. And so idolatry is simply prohibited. It's entirely unacceptable in the worship of the Lord. So it's clear. But it's also countercultural, And I want us to see that. You've got to think about where these people came from, right? The people of Israel just came out of what nation? Egypt. I took you out of Egypt. I delivered you from Egypt. Egypt... The place that they had spent the last 400 plus years was a place that was vastly idolatrous. Right? One of their main idols uh, was the Apis bull. Right? If you see that image, you'll notice that that's an idol. This is, they deified it. They, it represented what they valued, what gave them worth. It represented their God, or at least one of them. And so they would make this image, 
They would carve it, they would fashion it, and it would represent their God and they would worship it. So considering where they came from, we see that this command is very different than the place of Egypt. But we also see where they were headed, right, to this promised land. Where were they going? Canaan. And Canaan had a God as well that they would what? Image, carve. And they would worship their God with idolatrous practice. Molech was its main God. I think you can see that image as well. You see, idolatry was dominating the culture of how pay, uh, those, those societies worship their God. And so it went against the norm. And so this command is truly countercultural. But many of us here today may be sitting here and saying to ourselves, you know what, that, that was, that's kind of an ancient, barbaric, weird, not, we don't really do that. Uh, you know, kind of primitive way of worshiping. So it's not really relevant for us today, right? It's not relevant for us. We don't do that. We don't, we don't worship God with idolatry in mind. We don't, we don't make a God in our own image. We don't put it over our mantle and worship it. We don't do anything like that. There's nothing that we look at in the world and say that represents our God and we deify it and worship it. That's not us. Maybe it's technology. Maybe it's something else. I don't know. But I think we would all recognize that we are no different. That, that idolatry continues to be problematic. Idolatry continues to be the way in which we worship God. Whoever our God is. Maybe the next image will uh, tell the truth about all right. You say, well, he's just, he's just doing wordplay. That's a great show, man. Okay, maybe it is. But is it representative of our Western American values? Does it maybe reveal a little bit about the fact that we worship celebrity? Does it maybe unveil the truth that entertainment has become our God. Does the fact that we're so image-saturated, image-saturated with devices and uh, small and large that project and put on display for us things that we value, that entice us, that, that give us pleasure, that comfort us, that give us security... Is that not the world in which we live? You correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's easy for us to see that we are an idolatrous people. This is not a pagan issue, Ed Stetzer says. It's not just an Old Testament or a Jewish issue. Idolatry is a human issue. Again, it's at the core of the human problem. 
John Calvin said this, man's nature, regardless of time, I added that, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. It's not just an Egyptian issue, a Canaanite issue. It is a 2015 Western American issue. It is a human issue. Let's get more personal. It's a you issue. It's a me issue. Tim Keller wrote extensively on this in his book, Counterfeit Gods. Excellent book. Pick it up. Read it. Be prepared to be confronted with your idolatry. He says this. It's a long quote, so please bear with me, but I think it's worth reading. He says, Our contemporary society is not fundamentally different from these ancient ones. Each culture is dominated by its own set of idols. Each has its priesthoods, its totems, and rituals. Each one has its shrines. Whether office towers, spas, or gyms, he didn't mean CrossFit gym, studios, or stadiums, where sacrifices must be made in order to procure the blessings of the good life and ward off disaster. Listen to what else he says. He says, what are the gods of beauty, power, money, and achievement? But these same things that have assumed mythic proportions in our individual lives and in our society. We may not physically kneel before the statue of Aphrodite, but many young women today are driven into depression and eating disorders by an obsessive concern over their body image. We may not actually burn incense to Artemis, but when money and career are raised to cosmic proportions, we perform a kind of child sacrifice, neglecting family and community to achieve a higher place in business and gain more wealth and prestige. Wow, child sacrifice. That punched me in the face. Keller concludes this. Anything. Say it with me, ready? We'll say it with Keller. Anything in life can serve as an idol, a God alternative, a counterfeit God. Anything. It's really anything that we perceive to be the source of true peace, true joy, satisfaction, anything that we would allow to shape our identity, anything that consumes our thoughts and attention, anything like that that is not 
the Lord God Himself is what? An idol. Mark Driscoll once said, where you go in your lowest moment is your functional Savior. And so I ask you this morning, and I've been asking myself again, what's your idol? You say, I don't know. Test this. In your lowest moment, when you're most exhausted, when you're most discouraged, when you're frustrated, when you feel empty inside, where do you turn? Where do you go for comfort, for security, for escape, for joy? These are hard questions that we don't like to ask in church. But these are the very questions that we need to ask. The very answers that are at the root of why our lives are being trashed and ruined by sin. Why marriages struggle. Why finances are out of order. Or maybe in too much order. The issues that we face can all be rooted back to, I believe, or traced back to the root of what? The who we worship and the how we worship our God. So what is your idol? Do you turn to pornography? Images, hello, images that seem to represent joy and satisfaction. Do you turn to alcohol or other substances for escape, for rest, for peace of mind? What about food? Everyone says pastors never talk about the buffet table. Well, here I am. I'm going to talk about it. Food. I'm telling you right now, there's something inside me. I'm going to be sleeping in the cupboard after church today. Why? There's something about food that communicates comfort, that communicates filling, right? That we turn to food. The American society is gluttonous. Am I exaggerating? That's idolatry. But you, some of you say, well, that's not me. I go to the gym five days a week. Well, fitness can be just as much of an idol as food. You're being consumed with how you look, how much weight you can bear, how much stronger, how much faster you are. That can be just as much idolatry as food. How about work? Work becomes, I think, the, a primary idol in society. Productivity, achievement, success, significance. And yet for others, it's the opposite. It's the couch. You're flat out lazy. If I could just sit down, then I'll feel good. If I could just do nothing today, that's what I need. I need to do nothing. I need to take a, 
a, a, a two-year sabbatical. I need to run away. I need to get away and just be by myself. It can be an idol. Again, family, children. Man, I tell you what, Wednesday night last week, we needed to be in four places all at 6.30, and I thought, something's out of whack here. You know, like kids' activities can take you all over the place. It could be an idol. How about money? I want more of it. Man, you want to know, know if, if you're idolizing money, if you love it, if you're struggling to let it go, to give it away. If, if you're having a hard time, you know, looking at the needs of others, the, the, the ministry of the local church, the missionaries far and wide, if you're having a hard time letting go and you're holding on tight, you're taking on additional debts, you're giving yourself to that, but not only to give away your resources, that shows that idolatry is at play. Money is your idol. I did go there. Our phones. You say that? No, come on, dude. That's just okay. Why is your attention always on it? Why is it that my wife sometimes has to tell me, you know, is 10.15 laying in bed really the best time for Facebook? You know, why is our attention always on it? Am I overstating it? Or is this a true struggle that we have? Our affection, our attention, our phone is our mistress, men. And same for the women. Keller actually goes on at another point to talk about, and I know so many other people have written on this too, that even all those idols are sub-idols to the four core desires of the human heart. He talks about control. We want to be in control. We want comfort, right? Some of you have 57 comfy blankets <laughs> and slippers, <laughs> Right and two hundred dollar pillows, <laughs> and a two thousand dollar mattress. Why? Maybe you idolize comfort. You know, like comfort idols, control. What about acceptance? Right, the the favor, the acceptance, the nod, the the applause of people. And he also talks about power. Believes those are the four. Why do we want money? Because we want power. Why do we want this? even sexuality? Why? Because we want acceptance or control or there's something actually deeper. That in many ways, God, even in our pursuit of God, God becomes a means to another end. That really, we need to pursue the Lord because what we really want is, is acceptance in our life. What we really want is is, is power and control and comfort. That's really our God. I've counseled so many people over the years that have come to me and they've said, they've said, Mike, I'm really struggling with this. I think I need the Lord. And I say, yes, you do need the Lord. But then when that struggle, that feeling goes away, all of a sudden they don't need the Lord anymore. Because they have comfort, the temporal portion of it. 
And so God becomes a means to a, another end. I think that's really what it is. Even pastors can get up here and talk about the glory of God all day long because they know that the glory of God is the only way that you'll be able to preach to people and actually receive glory for yourself. Is God a means to an end for you? Or is he the means and the end? Is God the gift, uh, the gift of God himself, a gift that you receive so that you can have him and that's enough? Is she your source of joy and comfort and peace and security? And that all you need is Him? Or is there a roommate in your heart? Let me tell you something. I think that what's clear here is that when Jesus comes into your heart, He does not want to live there with any roommate. Does He? When the Spirit of God takes residence and He, he takes us out of Egypt, and He redeems us from slavery, from sin. When Jesus does that, He wants to take residence in our heart. He wants to be with us and He wants to be in us. And He does not want a roommate. Nor does He deserve one. So I want you to be honest. Maybe to inspire some honesty in you, I'll confess mine. For whatever reason, my idol has and I pray ne never again will be the acceptance of men. It's been the carrot out there. And without getting into long stories and going psychology on it and all that goopy stuff, nobody's interested in that. But if I were to look honestly at some of Keller's writings and look honestly at the biblical text and say, what is that idol that lures me away that I constantly need to repent of, that I constantly need the Scriptures to point out? What is that core desire in my heart that can sometimes uh, uh, compete for my affections? It's always been the acceptance of other people. And so I wonder for you, what's your core issue? You say, well, I don't have one. Well, I, I, I don't think that's true. I think until we see Jesus face to face, there will always be a magnetic pull to idolatry in our heart. And yet, the Spirit empowers us and, and calls us to confession and to repentance and to transformation, right? And, and our affections grow. We love Jesus more and we love the world less. And our, we actually begin to hate sin as we see its ruining effects on our lives, as we embrace it, it ruins us. It leaves us empty. The promise that it gave us for fulfillment, it falls drastically short, and it's only Jesus that does that. I think that happens over time. But I believe that each and every one of us here in this room, sometimes want to leave the door of our heart unlocked for that idol to come in at any time. Jesus wants no roommate. What roommate? What advertisement do you put out there? Roommate needed for Jesus. Be honest. Honesty is the beginning of true transformation. What image have you carved that represents the God you worship?
gives you identity. It gives you security. Whatever the case may be, let it be clear. Idolatry in any form is strictly prohibited. Entirely unacceptable in our worship of the Lord. Unacceptable. And you say, why? Again, these people then were to say, why? Why? I don't get it. Here it is. I'm going to try to go as quickly as I can. Verse 5b, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. The reason there's to be no idolatry in the Lord's people is because of the fact that the Lord is a jealous God. You say, well, that's a statement. He's jealous. Isn't that a negative term? Right? Like, so-and-so got a new car. God's jealous. Right? Like, he wants something that he can't have. And he's jealous that somebody else has it. When we talk about jealousy in human relationships, we think about it so negatively. Right? It seems like an odd reason to not be worshiping God with idolatry. Jealousy? We have to understand what this jealousy means. The jealousy of the Lord is really understood to be a passion, a fervor for His people. It's an intense zeal for His people because they are so dear to His heart. It's likened to me, as I think about it, of the husband who watches another man compete for his wife's attention. That jealousy is a good one. When the husband watches another man compete for the attention of his wife and lure her away, There should be an appropriate, passionate, fervorous. That's my wife. That comes from that husband. Take a hike, Pastor. Right? And the same goes for, for, the, for the wife that watches or is concerned about the husband whose attention is drifting away to another one. That jealousy is, is good. It makes a lot of sense. It's holy, actually. And so the Lord's jealousy for His people, who says your affection, your attention, should not be on anything other than the real me that cannot be reduced to an image you make and carve as a creature. Who the Lord is is why idolatry doesn't make any sense. So the Lord's jealousy for His people is why there must be no idolatry in His people. Do you know the Lord is jealous for you? And His jealousy comes in this form, is expressed in this way, right? The Lord promises to visit iniquity. Look at what He says, 
He visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Look at this. Our sin will not go unpunished. Our idolatry will not be left unattended to. It will be visited. And let's be clear. The Lord looks at idolatry as iniquity. It is sin. It's distorted. It falls short of His glory. It's unacceptable to Him. He will visit the iniquity. I don't know about you, but as a sinner, I get a little scared when I think about the Lord visiting my iniquity. This is a gracious warning for us as the people of God. God will visit idolatry. He will show up and he will be ready to fight in his jealousy. The image I have is this like the angel of death. Here they just came out of Egypt when the, the angel of death visited the iniquity of the Egyptians. And I think of the, the, the black cloud in the series Lost. It's just what I think of. This visiting, he shows up to the third and fourth generation. He takes our sin seriously. He will deal with it. He will punish it. But, verse 6, not just a gracious warning, but such a, a, a bright, shining hope for us. The expression of the Lord's jealousy is not just that he visits our iniquity, but that he what? He wants to show his steadfast love. <laughs> what an awesome motive to not be idolatrous. God wants to show his steadfast love to the thousandth generation. Do you see the, the difference? Third and fourth, thousandth, right? I can't even say it, right? Why such a contrast to show this is the Lord's intention? The Lord's intention is to show his desire, is to show for eternity his steadfast love to a people that are wholly committed to him, that obey his commands. His steadfast love. What does that mean? Don't miss that term. It's a, it's a big time term in the Old Testament. It's loyal love. It's, it's covenantal. Some would say it's the Old Testament equivalent of grace. The Jesus Storybook Bible would what? Call this love. What? The, the never stopping. Right? Never giving up. Unbreaking. Always and forever. Love. Parents, you got to love reinforcing that in your children. That's what Hesed is. That's what steadfast love, covenantal love is. Never stopping, never giving up, always and forever, unbreaking love for his people. That's what God wants to show his people. That's what God wants to show you forever. That's such hope. So the Lord's jealousy is the very thing expressed in his steadfast love, his covenantal love forever becomes the motive for our obedience. It basically says, 
given the comparison of that to all our crafted, manufactured, graven images that seem to represent our God. Yeah, we want to have that. But if you put that in comparison to the eternal reception of the steadfast covenantal love of the living God, I think that it, I think we'll take it, right? And yet some of you are still even struggling to say yes to that. You're still struggling in your heart, but that means I've got to let go of this, my baby. The thing that gives me joy in the moment, I've got to let go. Yes, you do. You have to show that you do not hate the Lord by serving Him and worshiping Him in a way that He does not receive and accept. And we're responsible to give our affection and our attention solely to the living God in the way that He desires. And being consumed with obedience to the God who has brought us out of Egypt that calls for our worship in a very specific way, which He has every right to do. And then says, if you obey me, look it, I'm going to shower you with steadfast love forever. That's wonderful hope. To turn away from every other God that would set itself up to compete itself for, uh, for our affection, for our adoration. This is our motive for obedience, the covenantal love of our God. And yet there still is this desire to, to see, to, to interact, to, to uh, have our senses be affected by the God that we worship. We want to see God. We want an image of God. And the wonderful news is this, that He's provided it in Christ. That Christ is the image of God. Colossians 1. If you want to know God, you want to see God, what did Jesus say? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Christ is the image of God. And Christ is the fulfilling expression of the jealousy of the Lord, isn't he? That in Christ, God visits our iniquity. In Christ, God pours out in the cross his covenantal steadfast love. Yeah, don't tell me that's not the gospel message. That he's visited our iniquities, dealt with it. That Christ took it. That the image of God has received the wrath of God. So that we would receive the steadfast love of God. That's the jealousy of the Lord. That's the motive to turn from our idols, to stop pursuing the false promises and luring attractiveness of this world, to say, you know what, money, you can have it. Cars, you can have it. Beauty, fleeting. We're all getting old. Let's just get over it. I am going to the gym tomorrow, Lord willing. But still, let's get over it. And let's place our affections in the things that have real eternal value. Jesus. The Lord's jealousy for his people is why there must be no idolatry in his people. So what is your idol? What is your false God? 
look at, let's just finish by being honest about it. Let's take a spiritual inventory and look to the Lord and say, I confess my sin unto you. Can we just confess it to the Lord today? Let's just confess it to Him. That's the way to freedom. No one's trying to hammer you with guilt about your imperfections. We're calling for honesty about our imperfections. I struggle with this. I need prayer in this. Help me in this. And then let's decisively turn from it. I make a decision today to turn from this idol and to worship the one true God. Let's turn from it. And then let's rely upon Jesus, his steadfast love. Receive it and say he's enough. He's my motive for obedience. He's my example of obedience. Let's do that today. Can we do that right now? Can we do that today? Not next week. Not when the summer's over. Today. Let's do it today. Confess it. Again, the law is a mirror. It shows us who we really are. The law is a restraint. It keeps us from running after idols, doesn't it? And the law is a revelation. All bringing us to Jesus. So let's confess it. Let's repent of idolatry. Together. And then let's commit ourselves, empowered by the Spirit, to obey the Lord, to worship Him alone, to worship Him in the way He desires and deserves. And let's obey that command at the end of 1 John chapter 5. Dear children, children of God, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Last verse of 1 John. Let's do it again tomorrow. Let's do it again Tuesday. And Wednesday. Until we see Him again. This is a daily discipline. It's a decision today. Based on the jealousy of our God. But it's the same decision. The same honesty. The same authenticity. The same humility. The same confession. The same repentance. The same decision to obey. That needs to happen. Guess what? Tomorrow. Because the struggle will not disappear overnight. But one day. It will. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we hear your word. It's very clear. In Exodus 20, you shall not make for yourself an image, likeness of anything. Should not bow down and serve them. Very clear that you do not accept idolatrous worship.
We confess, O God, that our hearts, apart from You, are literally factories that produce death. Oh God, would You, by Your Spirit, enable us to obey Your command? We cannot, apart from You, walk in faithfulness. Your covenant. We hear the words again in 1 John. Your children, keep yourselves from idols. But we confess our weakness and our inadequacy. Holy Spirit, move in the midst of Your people today. Be faithful. And to walk in the perpetual joy of the never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love of God in Jesus Christ. To Him we give.